Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. So, Vicki mentioned the word perseverance. Um, what I want to talk about, hopefully briefly, I was thinking Tommy Morgan was here. He'd tell you Larry Brown can't be brief, okay? <laughs> it's impossible for me, but I'm going to try. Um, is uh, about depression. Now, any of us, any age, can be depressed because we're having a bad day at work or had a car wreck or whatever. But what I wanted to address was what I call, and this is you know Larry Brown's version of all this, is clinical depression. And as Vicki said, uh, when Ann and I met, I just became a Christian, and there's a whole story behind me and, uh, and God saving me from myself when I hollered help real loud in the really depths of depression. And so we got married, and for like two or three years, I mean, I wasn't even touching the ground. I mean, I was just on a spiritual high, and I feel, as the Word says, you know, uh, it's time to get off the milk and, and deal with life, and that's when the depression became a reality in my life, and I have been through hell and back, because with clinical depression, there's these ups and downs and medications, and I've had psychiatrists tell me that it's a crapshoot. I mean, you take this medicine, hope it'll work. If it doesn't, you, I mean, one time I had a doctor tell me, look, Larry, we done tried everything there is. I don't know what to try. So, as y'all know, my wife, Ann, and my kids persevered with a man that dealt with this his entire life and I'm still dealing with it. And so my point is that especially, and I felt this morning, like I said, it can be in our kids, it can be the ladies, but I wanted to speak to just the men. Or my point was, or what I felt was there's men and there's a stigma with it that we don't want to acknowledge, I've, I've been through all of it, that, oh, God, I don't want anybody to know that I deal with this. You know, I've told different ones, you know, I wish I had, I don't know, leprosy or something. <laughs> it's just this thing about it. And so I just challenge you, and, you know, we have the, the men's meeting. Um, Sam, you know, mentioned to me about it. That, uh, you know, it's just a place that the men can come and, and be real. So I encourage any of you that if you're having this issue, that there is men that I know that are in this church or in, you know, that they can help you through this process because it is a very difficult thing. So... Let me pray and get Vicky back up here. Father, just come before you right now and 
thank you for this body. And I know, Father, that only because of my church body through all these years and my family and those that love me and have persevered with me through this issue of depression. So, our Father, I just cry out to you and I ask that your spirit would touch any man that hears my voice dealing with this issue. It could be a teenager, a young man, someone like myself that's been dealing with this in their entire life, Father, that they would reach out. And uh, something I didn't say, I feel very strongly that this is something that you need to get with someone that has experienced it, has lived it, uh, to help you with it. So I thank you, Father, for all the men in this church that I know they are seeking God. And, Father, that this is just one thing that the enemy loves to use to tear us down, to get our eyes off of you. So, Father, I just pray this in Jesus' name. My dad's so awesome, isn't he? All right. Thanks, Daddy. Christy, can you turn that down a little? A little louder than he is. Um, all right. So I'm going to call up Mona, who felt like the Lord gave her something. If you want to come up now and share. And then Wes Broussard also has something after her. And then we will do a time of prayer. So. My son took his life at 24 years old. And there is a stigma that you don't need to tell anybody. Nobody cares, nobody wants to do. People are tired. Nobody wants to hear my complaints anymore. Nobody wants to see me cry. And that's a lie of the enemy. Because isolating, like he said, will not save you. And I promise you, there is so many people that would be devastated if you took your life. And I was sitting there, and I thought the Holy Spirit brought up something. I was, uh, there's a, a girl I love on a minister, and Justin and I love on a lot of people that struggle with suicidal thoughts. And um, they've actually stayed at our house. People have come up and sat with me at church that I didn't even know. Like, God just plants people. And so one of them called me the other day and said, I don't want to live anymore. And the Holy Spirit just took over my words. And I said, the reason that you are still here is because there is somebody broken that needs the oil that is dripping from your brokenness. So Justin was saying when I told him that, he said, I felt two or three people in here were struggling with some thoughts like that. Sam, do you want to do that invitation or, or pray for them? I don't think it matters what community you're a part of. There's a stigma with this one. But I think most of us, if we're being honest, if you've lived long enough and through enough, you've had that moment or those thoughts I have for sure it's been a while but I started making a plan and um, it was you know 
hard time for everybody. So, obviously, those of us in the room, I'm going to try to transition this a little bit the way I think the Holy Spirit's leading me to. So y'all stay with me just a smidge. Because I think the two fall into one. But it may take me just a second to get there. Um, the Lord brought this verse to me a couple weeks ago and I've been kind of going back and forth with it and asking him to help me understand it. And I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here. Like I said, we're going to tie in. So Luke 17 Jesus said to his disciples, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him that brings them. It'd be better for him if a huge stone was tied around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. We've heard that before. Then it would be for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Just for a second there, whatever brokenness and pain has precipitated being in a place where ending your own life is like a real solution. God sees that. And to him, whoever caused that pain, it'd be better if he was thrown into the sea and drowned. That, that matters. It matters that he sees it and thinks that it's that important to him. He's that passionate about someone that would hurt you. So, but <laughs> be on guard. I like that he says, be on guard for this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Correction, it's all good. And if he repents, forgive him. I've had people preach on forgiveness before. I've never heard this, and maybe y'all can help me. I looked up the meaning of forgiveness, and it literally means to send away. And the first definition it gives is to send away as if a divorce. That's strong, strong verbiage from the Lord for forgiveness. And I think he wants to connect the two thoughts of forgiveness and depression. Because most of the time in my life and in the experience I've had doing this stuff, unforgiveness is a wide open portal to depression. It leads to bitterness. It leads to a brokenness, a rage, a seething kind of trying to survive and you stay in a fight or flight mentality all the time until you are literally burnt out and you got nothing to give. And then the thoughts of suicide come in. So Jesus tells him, if your brother sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And again, that forgiveness is the same as ending something forever. It's not a, I'm going to hold on to the negative thoughts about you because it helps me to protect myself from you. Because that's not forgiveness. It doesn't look like trust all the time either. Sometimes broken is broken. But it can't look like holding someone ransom and holding relationship ransom. That's not forgiveness. It's a fake forgiveness that will lead you to these places we're talking about. And so he says, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, forgive him. And the apostles not being, you know, churched or hearing this going, if I got to forgive this idiot seven times a day, I'm not doing this seven times a day every day. And so they, their response is what I hope we would respond. 
He said, Lord, how do we increase our faith to do this? How do we do that? And he says, if you had the faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree in this situation, not the mountain one, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And then he gave this part, and if, thank you all for bearing with me. This is the part that threw me off. And I was just sitting here earlier, and Sam asked me to share something. And I said, okay. And I, I've been mulling over this for weeks, and it finally clicked. It finally settled in my little brain and in my spirit. Because Jesus says a very hard thing next that doesn't line up with a lot of how we feel about him. And anytime he does that, it's, it's time to pay attention. He said, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come into the field, come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat with me. The master won't say that. Say to him, prepare something for me to eat. Properly close yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards you can eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which he was commanded to do, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which you were commanded, you just say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Now that story in and of itself, disconnected from the rest of what Jesus just got finished saying, sounds like a brutal statement. But we've got to remember, like, <laughs> they didn't do the thing we like to do with sermons. They didn't take two scriptures out and talk about it as if it was the whole conversation. Look at the conversation. He's talking about forgiveness. And they're saying, how do we forgive like that? How can you forgive like that? That doesn't, how? how? Teach me how to increase my faith. And he said, it's not a faith thing. If you had faith of mustard seeds, you could do it. What did he say? Come to me first. Isn't that what he said? He said, if, if you come in and you're doing all the hard work, that's great. But when you come in with this, come to me. Come serve me. You forgive because it's a service to me. Because it's commanded by me. Come do that with me. And that's hard to do with somebody else when you're hurt, but you can always go to him and do that hard work with him. Then you go and sit down and take care of your business. But the first step, come do the hard work. Do the heavy lifting. Come to me first with forgiveness. Because it's so hard. All of us have been bit and burned and hurt. And like he said in the first part of the chapter, somebody hurts you like that, I wish, you know, it'd be better if I have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown in the ocean. He doesn't take it lightly. But they're his baby too. That's why all of us aren't sinking in the ocean right now. So how do we live in this beautiful harmony of forgiveness and his passion for justice and our passion for not being hurt we're pretty passionate about not being hurt and when all that stuff gets mixed into a melting pot and it doesn't look right we tend to not forgive it tends to linger and it hovers and it oppresses and then before we know it it's been weeks since we've heard from the lord it's been weeks since we sat with anybody that could actually speak into our life it's been weeks months and all of a sudden you're so disconnected well, it's not a surprise then. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not a surprise when suicidal thoughts enter your mind. That was a setup. That was a setup. 
And if we got multiple people feeling like that was the direction we're supposed to go today, then let's go there. Why would we be afraid to go there? I'm more afraid not to go there. So if, (laughs) and look, I've talked to a few of you in the last two or three weeks. I know that's what you've been struggling with. Okay. So it's not, I promise you're not alone in the room. I promise. And like I said before, it's something I've struggled with too. So let's be very honest about that with one another. And let's leave room for the Lord to minister to us in that as we forgive. All right. Um, I'm going to have Ann, Mona, Larry, if y'all can come up. Um, So my mom was, I'm not going to have her come up here and share, but she struggled with suicidal thoughts for about five years. And so I want, I felt like the Lord just told me she's supposed to be somebody who prays. Dad, can you come over here on this side? Um, Larry shared with dealing with clinical depression and Mona was sharing about the loss of um, their son to suicide. And so I want to take some time um, to just do prayer. If this is actively something that you're dealing with, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts, even if it's not suicidal thoughts, but there's just this constant feeling of worthlessness or not knowing uh, the direction you're going and just hopelessness. Um, the Lord wants to deal with that, you know, the sooner the better. So anybody that um, wants to receive prayer, we just want to invite you to come now and then um, invite anyone who feels led to pray with them uh, to do that. So we're just going to give a little bit of uh, time to do that right now before we release into our potluck. listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.